goodness. That's awesome. <laughs> My name is Erica and I am an alcoholic. And, wow, there's a lot of people here. Um, as you said, um, my, my date is uh, October 25th of 2006, so that's five years. Um, and um, I was 21 when I got sober. Um, I drank legally for about eight months. Um, that, was as, that was as tough as I was. That was as far as I made it. Um, you know, so anyway, um, you know, growing up, I had a very strong connection to... Um, to this power greater than myself, this higher power. Um, and it was not in line at all with um, the church that my mom was bringing me up in. And, um, and it, just, it just didn't seem right. It just didn't seem right. But I, I, I knew that there was a God, and, and I had this this um, uneducated relationship um, with him or it or her or whatever. And... Um, so in this church, though, that I, that I was um, dragged to every Sunday, um, you get baptized when you're eight. You just do. And, and so I did. Um, I didn't want to be even more of a, an outcast. I was always a weird kid. And nobody, um, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. <laughs> so um, I didn't want to be even weirder. I didn't want to give those kids who already made fun of me for absolutely everything. I didn't want to give them any more ammo, so I did what I was supposed to do. And, um, and I got baptized when I was eight. And it was the first time that I felt like I lied to God. And I had to hide. I had to hide from him because I blatantly lied to him. Like getting baptized is saying, I believe in this church. This is the one true church. And I'm giving myself to this church. And none of that was true. Um, and and, and it, it created this disharmony within me. Um, a disharmony that, that just continued to grow later. Um, you know, as a kid, um, I was subjected to and I witnessed things that, that children just should never, ever be um, made aware of. And um, that combined with my feeling like I had lied to God and, and um, it being continually proven to me that, you know, my parents don't love me, um, I decided that there must not be a God. There just must not be. Um, any God that I can conceive of wouldn't allow little girls to be molested and wouldn't allow little boys to be beaten deaf. Um, you know, just, just, there just can't be. Because how, how does that make sense? It just didn't make sense to me. Um, there just absolutely must not be a God. And, um, and I left the church and I... Um, I uh, I set out about being as bad as I could. Um, you can't be, you know, if you can't be good, be good at it, you know. So that's that's what I decided to do. Um, you know, I just felt like the world just kept coming at me, just kept coming at me. And um, the only way that I found to make the world stop coming at me was to be scarier than the world. Um, and I did that. Um, I cultivated this whole image of of what I wanted to portray to the world, and that included Marilyn Manson getting drunk and doing drugs. Um, I doodled all over my face, I shaved off my eyebrows, and I uh, used a lot of F words, and I smoked, and 
pretended to do a lot more things a lot sooner than I actually did. But um, when I was 13, um, I, uh, I started, I'm from Bakersfield um, originally, and I started hanging out at 19th and Chester, and I found the 19th Street Drunk Punks, and whoever drinks the fastest gets the most, and I fit, I finally fit somewhere. I was home, I wasn't a loser anymore, I was just like these other losers, and we were awesome, and nobody messed with us, and we panhandled all day, and we drank all night, and we threw our little cook rock fists in the air, and I, I finally, I finally, I finally found that relief that alcohol brings to an alcoholic. I found that relief. Um, my, first, my first time drunk, there was a group of us drinking on top of the parking garage, and um, we had about 10, 32s of King Cobra for about 14 of us, and at the time I was 13 and had just started drinking, and I thought we were like, that was like a lot. And so I got through half of one, and I was a one-drink wooer, you know, like one drink, and so I was wooing, and I dumped the other half over my own head, and woo, party, and I got carried home, and that was that was the beginning. Um, it was the most amazing thing that had ever happened to me. Um, it was the first time that I ever didn't feel anxious my whole life. That anxiety, that pit in my stomach went away. Um, it was the first time I felt like people weren't making fun of me, people weren't pointing and laughing. They probably were, and I just didn't know. But it was the first time that I felt that go away, and I couldn't wait to do it again. Um, and it perfectly fit in with this image that I was trying to grow for myself. And so I did it the next weekend, and the next weekend, and the weekend after that, and um, every weekend that I possibly could. Um, I always thought I always thought a man was gonna fix me. I've been trying to get married since I was like 13. Um, no pearls. <laughs> and um, so when I was uh, 14, I started dating my 24-year-old junkie next-door neighbor. And um, when I was 15, he was arrested for statutory rape. And the way that I viewed it was, he loved me and he's going to jail for loving me. And I am, I'm, I'm just so horrible. I, I'm, I'm the kiss of death, you know? Anyone near me, I, I, anything I touch, I just turn to shit, you know? And including this guy's life, you know? And, um... I had no concept at all that he was 24 and should have, you know, known better than hang out with a 14-year-old. That just wasn't in my head at all because I was very mature for my age. And who could blame him? I'm gorgeous. And, you know, all those other things that my ego told me, you know, none of that, like, occurred to me. Um, what I thought was he loved me and they're taking him away from me, just like anything good that I've ever had. They're taking it away from me. And, um, so, uh, once that wasn't satisfying to my ego anymore, um, I uh, moved to the next one and the next and the next. And by the time, um, by the time I was 16, I was homeless. I was a daily drinker. Um, I graduated high school. I've always been very good at taking tests. Um, not so good at doing homework or classwork, but really good at tests. And I found out about this test that you can take. You can pay them 50 bucks, take a test, they give you your diploma. And I said, that's all me. And um, I did that. 
and I told myself and everyone around me it was like to go to college and get a job, you know, I've got a I've got important things to do and I mean really it was just that school um got in the way of got in the way of my drinking. Um it ended up that uh, I could not could not get to school at any reasonable time. So they put me in this program where I didn't even have to get there till three in the afternoon and I still found that difficult. Um because I, I was also I was a daily bedwetter by that point. So I mean by like one or two I have to get up and then I have to shower and sometimes like who has time for that and who cares. And um I destroyed my grandma's couch and you know, just getting to school just was really a hassle. It just was really, really a hassle. And so I didn't want to do it. And I didn't. Um so sixteen, um I just drank. I drank every day. Um, I guess that's actually pretty boring after a while when that's your entire life. You're doing absolutely nothing else but drinking. It's like the things like it made up the Maury game. Every time he's not the father, you take a drink. Never made it to the end of the show. Not one time. Um, you know, and that was what I called fun. Like, that's, that's what, um, what I entertained myself with. Um, when I was 18, um, I found the hymn that was going to fix me. Um, he was six foot five, didn't have eyebrows, and he had tall boots. I don't know what else he needed in a person. So, um, and he let me drink the way that I wanted to drink, you know. Um, I knew he was the one when I peed on him that first night, and he still liked me the next day. He, he knew I was the one when I stole the bottle, the, the fifth of Jack Daniels the night before, you know, like that, that was, that was our type of relationship. Um, I later figured out later once I got sober and did some digging into myself, um, you know, he was also, he was the one that was most likely to kill me is, uh, why I picked him. Um, never ever thought I was suicidal. Um, shot myself up, yeah, but I'm not trying to kill myself. Um, I drank myself into a stupor in, like, literally on Skid Row outside the Greyhound Station in downtown L.A. Not suicidal, though. Um, but I, I just, I really, really, I, I didn't want to do it myself, is really what it was. Um, and, uh, this guy was most likely to do it for me. He beat me up every single night. Um, and that's not entirely his fault. Um, not blaming, not victim blaming on myself, but, you know, I knew what, I knew what buttons to push. I knew what I needed to say to get it out of him. I knew what I knew what I needed to do to uh, manipulate that out of him. That's exactly what I wanted from him, and I made sure that I got it. Just like uh, just about everything else. Um, if I wanted it bad enough, I found a way to make sure I got it, and uh, that included getting punched in the nose. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the only moments of joy, um, actual, real, like to the bottom of my soul, joy that I can remember um, before I got sober was um, he was uh, he was holding me down and he was choking me and um, fighting because that's what you do when you're being strangled and um, and then I noticed the black coming in around my vision and it occurred to me wait I finally get to know what it's like to die and I stopped fighting and I wanted that moment to last forever and I wanted I couldn't wait for it to happen and and I was just totally, totally in that moment. She's finally gonna do it. I finally get to know what it's like to die. And it was entirely, entirely um joyful for me. Um and when I woke up, um 
guess he didn't do it long enough. Um, when I woke up, I found him outside on the payphone screaming, I just killed my wife, I just killed my wife. And I'm going right here, idiot. Like, what are you talking about? And and it wasn't until the next day when I when I sobered up that like I put all the pieces together and I go, oh yeah, I wasn't waking up out of a blackout. No, I was waking, well kind of, but not one that was alcohol induced that time, you know. And I put it all together and it was, I was kind of upset that I was still alive, you know. Um, so you know, looking back, that's that's the biggest reason I think that that I picked him. He was the one that was most likely to do what I couldn't do for myself. Um, so anyway, yeah, he went to prison, and um, I was supposed to be getting sober, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Um, I wanted to. Um, I wanted to keep that marriage. Um, I don't believe in divorce, and and that's what I wanted to do. But um, I just I wasn't able. I just wasn't able. Um, I ended up going away to school where I thought that was going to change everything. Um, I mean, new school, new town, new people, not even allowed to drink there. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. Um, my second day there, I met the exact replica of my best friend from where I was home, from from home, and we got drunk that, that Wednesday. I got there on Monday. We were wasted on Wednesday. You know, um, the exact same thing. You know, I took me with me. It was the problem. Um, and I'm going to find the same people and do the same thing wherever I go. And um, I just didn't know that yet. Um, then they ended up, I got caught, and I, um, I, uh, they were taking me out of school. I went home to Bakersfield. I was sitting in my grandma's um, spare bedroom. And I had a moment that the book talks about called The Jumping Off Place. Um, couldn't imagine life with or without alcohol. It just finally came it all came down to it, you know, um, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I can't even do this stupid school that, I mean, it's the easiest thing in the entire world. Like, it's like impossible to fail at this school, and I can't even do that, you know. Um, I just can't do anything. I can't stop drinking, and I can't do anything while I drink. Um, I just couldn't imagine living one more day with that ache in me and yet I knew there's no other way you know um, I had a small smidgen of hope those Tanzanian movies tell me that the only way to get sober is rehab so um, I called around to all the rehabs in my town and uh, the cheapest one was $800 I'm a panhandler like I can come up with maybe eight but you're talking about $800 like that's insanity um and so then, then there was this, this second bottom, I guess. Um, there was no hope whatsoever. I know what hopelessness feels like. You know, that was my last hope. Um, I didn't know you could just go to a meeting and get sober. Like, I didn't know, you know. I, I thought you had to go to these rehabs. And, and it's just, that, well, that's it. That's it for me then. I don't get to get sober. And if I don't get to get sober, then, you know, um, just, there is nothing for me. Um, everyone has been talking about my potential my whole life, and it's just absolutely impossible for me. Um, all the potential in the world isn't, you know, and the best I can do is I'm on the corner of 19th Street pissing myself. You know, all the potential in the world and and the best I can do is pass out on someone's couch, you know. Um, I can do one shift telemarketing one time for four hours, you know. Um, that was the extent of my work history. <laughs> and so, um, 
kind of hopelessness. Um, and funny enough, um, my school called me and told me if I was willing to go to rehab, they were willing to pay for it. And I said, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And so I decided um, I was going to give it 60 days. That's how long the program was. 60 days. You've got 60 days to fix me. And if that doesn't work, then I'm getting serious about this suicide business because I can't be here. I cannot do this anymore. I can't do it. And you know what? No one will be able to blame me. Not a soul could blame me. If after I go to this, I try. I had tried everything then. No one could blame me. Terribly sorry, but I'm going to have to do it. Um, and so I went in with this. I went in to this, uh, this inpatient at 60 days and um, I took in 150 pills with me, alcohol and pill form, and, um, and they sent me to bed to detox that first night and I'd actually been pretty well detoxing for about a week and a half so I didn't actually need to, but I didn't say that and they just sent me to bed to go detox and since I was just sitting there and I had pills, I took them and I got wasted my first night in rehab. And uh, nobody bothered me. Nobody said a thing. And uh, the next day, I'll get honest, I was mostly afraid of getting caught with them and getting kicked out. Um, so I went into the bathroom, and I was flushing. I was flushing them. I was going to keep five in case I needed them. I mean, I'm going to be here 60 days. That's a long time. So I might need them. So I'm, I'm saving five. And, and I, I heard this voice inside my head and um it wasn't the one that I talked to myself with, it wasn't my voice. Um it was out it was otherworldly, it was outside me and I said, How are you gonna get this thing if you're saving drugs for later? I go, Oh yeah, I said I was gonna give this thing a real shot and so I um again decided I will give this one real shot for sixty days. And I flushed them. And um, and I threw myself into that program. Um, they were coming at me with all this God BS, and I couldn't take it. I can't take it at all. Um, I decided long, long, long before, as I mentioned, that God either doesn't exist or He's a jerk, and I want nothing to do with Him. Um, but I said I'd give this thing a shot, and uh, you guys said that was the only way. So, um, but you also said it didn't have to be. Um, that one that I grew up with. And it didn't have to be that one that, that I'd gotten so mad at. It didn't have to be those things. But I didn't understand any other concept of a higher power, you know. So I started um started reading one of the books in there. Um, it's called Came to Believe. And I read in there, it's a pretty much sincerity if not yet belief. And that I could do. Um, my first tattoo was an SOS with a pentagram in the L. I don't care who, but someone needs to save my soul. So I could sincerely say into the universe, I can't. I need help. I know that even if you do exist, you hate me. I know that. Sorry to bother you. They said I have to. And um, so I did that every night, um, and it took about three weeks. And I had an experience that I can, the book describes as being rocketed into the fourth dimension. Um, I went into a place that was timeless and spaceless and formless, and um, my higher power revealed him, herself, itself to me in a way that I don't think there's anything in the universe that can disprove my higher power to me anymore. Um, for all the doubt and all the hate and all the resentment that I had towards that higher power, um, 
and all the intelligent thinking that it doesn't make sense and it's not logical. Um, it's probably true. It probably isn't logical, but I also know it to be fact. My higher power revealed himself to me in a way that is impossible for me to deny. And, um, and that was the basis um, for my recovery. Um, when I got out of that treatment, I didn't immediately get back into AA. Um, I went to one meeting and I didn't like it, so I just didn't go anymore. Um, I moved back to Bakersfield and I hate being the new guy at anything, so I didn't go. Um, I went home and um, stayed with that same husband and um, and uh, he was supposed to be, he, he was relapsing five to seven times a week. So um, I was sober. I'd been sober almost a year, um, just white knuckling it. Things weren't really getting getting any better. They were just they got just good enough that I couldn't justify killing myself. <laughs> so I had to just stay there. Um, and so I was, he he had a problem. He needed a meeting. I'll go. It won't hurt me. I'm an alcoholic. I'm fixed, but I am an alcoholic, so it won't hurt. I'll go to support you. And um, and I don't know why it was, but it was me that heard the message in those meetings. Um, I my first meeting, um, there was a 42-year-old man who was just like Kevin Spacey, and he was bawling his eyes out, saying, "I'm starting nursing school in a week, you guys, and I'm scared." And to me, like that's not socially acceptable. Like where I come from, dudes are not crying. Uh, especially saying they're scared or going to nursing school. Like, that's totally not socially acceptable, and he had no shame. I'm like, dude, you don't know me. Like, maybe you can do that with your friends, but you don't know me. I'm a stranger. Like, and he had no shame. And the freedom that I saw in him, that he could do that, opened something inside me that um, allowed me to be honest and allowed me to cry and say, guys, I'm effing scared. Like, I don't know what to do, you know? And um, one of the first things that I heard from them, you're scared, that's cool, do it anyway. You know, I complain about my step work or getting a job or, or any of those things. You're scared, that's cool, do it anyway. And I did. Um, and uh, I started working the steps and things started changing. Um, I, uh, at about a year and a half over, I moved to Fresno. And, um, you know, for me, that's where my my real, real recovery really started. Um, I found an amazing sponsor, and I found an amazing home group. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but that's why God sent me to Fresno. You know, I thought I was moving to Fresno to get my best friend sober. Um, she's not my best friend anymore, and she's certainly not sober. So, you know, my plan had nothing to do with God's plan, um, but it got me to where I was supposed to be. Um, I found my home group and I found my sponsor and, and they, they they took me through the steps and as I as I did the steps as I as I continued to to do these things that were so unnatural to me, being honest with myself or anyone else is totally unnatural to me. Um, it's very, very difficult and the most rewarding thing in the whole world. Um, going back and admitting that I'm wrong like that oh that one was oh that's tough that's ugly that's a tough pill to swallow you know um where i come from like if you if you if you even understand that you did something wrong like you just hide from that person for a while or you just totally play it off like yeah i did it now what i'll do it again like you know like taking responsibility for your actions totally not okay where i come from and um 
you guys taught me how to do that here, you know, and it was really, really, really tough at first. And I found that the more that I did it, um, the easier it became. Um, and I was so glad. I'm so glad. Um, you know, things things in my life started changing. Um, I learned how to drive. I bought a car. Um, I became employable. I've been employed for consistently for uh, for four years now compared to my four hours before I was drinking. Um, and I ended up, um, God gave me a, a moment of clarity, and, uh, and I left my husband um, shortly before I moved to Fresno. Um, and uh, yeah, my, my, my life today, um, it hasn't always been easy. My recovery hasn't always been easy, but it has always been worth it. Um, you know, I got tattooed on my wrist, um, this too shall pass. Um, because it does, both the good and the bad, and, and everything in between, the boring and the wild and the exciting, and all of it, all of it will pass. And um, and to be too attached to any of it is never good for me. To be too attached to my misery, because that's comfortable, is not good for me. And to be too attached to when things are good, and then it goes into a, into another valley, you know, and then I, oh, no, everything's wrong. No, it's just it's just going. Life is just going. Life is just happening. That's all that it is. And, and I got to learn that here. Um, my, my life is so different that I have to rely on the things on the outside, the car and the job and being able to support myself and things like that. I have to rely on those things because I can't describe the change that's happened inside me. Um, I've had billions of moments of joy in my in my five years here. Um, billions of moments of joy. Um, most of the time I have quite a bit of serenity. Um, not perfect and things get squirrely and my head's still crazy. Um, but in general, in general, I have a pretty serene life, you know. I've made, I, I made friendships and built relationships here that I could only dream about before. You know, I felt so, so, so alone all the time. And, and even in a room full of people, even a room full of my best friends, um, I always knew that if I wasn't there right then, they wouldn't really know. They wouldn't really know the difference. They wouldn't change anything if I were there or not there. Um, and that's at best, that it just wouldn't change things. I was sure that sometimes they were wishing I wasn't there. Um, you know, today, um, people want me around. People ask me to be places. Um, and my grandma used to, my grandma, she's my, my heart, my soul, my favorite person in the whole world. She's the reason I'm alive. And um, I remember she picked me up one morning from somewhere. I'm trying to breathe out the window of the car. And and she looked at me and she started crying. And she said, Erica, you are nothing but a boozy floozy. And I cracked up. Because that's pretty rad, a boozy floozy. That's hilarious. But I later realized, like, well, she just called me a drunk slut. Like, you know? Like, that's what my grandma just said to me. While she was crying, she was serious. And later, like, that really cut, like, when I really thought about it, you know? Like, it's still my favorite insult I've ever gotten, but it really cut me. And today, she cries every single time that I see her, but she cries and tells me how proud of me she is, you know? It's actually kind of uncomfortable. Like, you know, um, she tells me she's, she's, she's so happy and she's so proud of me and she's so glad that she gets to know me like this. And you know what? I'm glad that she gets to know me as the person that God brought me here to be, the person that God intended for me to be. Um, 
And doing the steps and working with a sponsor has allowed me to grow into that person and to shed all those fears and all those those walls and and I get to find out who I truly am, you know. I'm I'm totally not very tough. I'm kind of a weenie. Um, I I I am a girl. I have no idea. Funny. Um, I like makeup and hair and like dressing and stuff. Like wild. I had no clue. Um, you know, just just the person that I am. I'm way more fun than I thought. Um, I'm still kind of negative. Um, but I'm just I'm a totally different person than the person that I constructed for myself. And it feels good to be honest about who I am. It feels good to be the same person here in a meeting and at work and at home. And and. I don't have a different face that I show to you or to you or to you. You know, I don't I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I don't have to be whoever it is that I think you need me to be um, in order to be okay. I can just be what I'm intended to be. And, and if you like me, that's awesome. And if you don't, like, there's really not a whole lot I can do about that, you know. Um, I try not to be harmful, and that's the best I got, you know. Um, I have friends here that have just absolutely changed my life. It carried me through things that I still have no idea how I walked through. Um, when I was two years sober, um, no, I was three, I just turned three. Um, my most recent ex-boyfriend, um, who I was still in contact with, he hung himself. And, I mean, I don't know how you walked through that. Like, I did it and I still don't know. Um, my friend, my friend, my friends were there for me. Um, my sponsor, my home group was there for me. Um, what became my roommate was calling me and telling me, like, all right, stop listening to that song and get in the car, we're going to a meeting, you know. Um, and we walked through it. We walked through it together, and, and I came out um, a stronger person. And, and I'm so grateful for the people that were there for me. Um, I've met the love of my life here. Um, he's an absolutely amazing, amazing human. Um, I still don't, I still don't, I don't think I deserve him. Um, She's absolutely uh, nothing that I was intentionally looking for and everything that's perfect for me. Um, God's plan is always better than mine. Um, and I get to move to New Orleans with him in four weeks. And, and I get to go to beauty school and I get to pursue my dream, you know. Um, the life that I would have chosen for myself when I got sober would have been a bunch of BS. Knowing what I know now. Um, knowing that where God is sending me in just these five years, where God is putting me, um, I would have sold myself short. Um, I absolutely would have sold myself short. <laughs> it's so much better, and it's totally not at all anything that I would have even thought of to think for myself. Like, I just wouldn't have ever um, come I, would, I didn't have any concept of the kind of life that I live today. And, um, and I sincerely, sincerely hope that you find here what I found here. Um, and I found it through finding a sponsor who had what I want. Not her car, not her house, not her super cute hair. Um, her presence, her serenity, her ability to walk through crazy stuff and be okay. Like, she was just fine. Like, she was totally cool and, like, crazy stuff is going on around her. That's what I wanted, you know? I found someone who had what I wanted, and I asked them how to do it. And she showed me, and I listened to her, and I did the steps, and I applied myself. I've never done this thing perfectly, not even close, but I've always done my best. Even when my best was throwing my hair in a bun and just going to a meeting in my slippers. You know, and sometimes that has been my best. 
um, but I've always done my best, and um, and I just sincerely, sincerely hope that you find here or finding here what I found here um, is absolutely possible um, for each and every one of us. Um, it does the disease, but we don't have to die. So thank you.